Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Ideas Factory. I am Nagma. Joining me is Professor Harsh Pant. On this episode of the Ideas Factory, some of the big questions that we would be looking at is, number one, Ukraine, of course. Because uh, even after all those diplomatic efforts and the talks, Ukraine continues to be a hotspot. Ukraine border uh, is seeing a buildup of troops. NATO is sending in troops. Russian troops are already there and looks like Russia is on the verge of invading Ukraine. Now, the question is, is that a possibility? And if it does happen, what are the implications for Russia for the rest of the world? So that's something that we would be analyzing and looking at. Other than that, the Taliban, after recapturing power in Kabul for the first time, are in a meeting, in a conversation outside of Afghanistan in Europe. Amidst protest, of course, there are people who are calling these talks. Uh, in a way, it's a, it's kind of going to legitimize the Taliban and these talks should not have taken place. But then what's the way out? That's what we are going to look at. And um, India and the Southeast Asia, of course, is also one of the questions that we will be looking at in Pakistan's new national security policy. So a very warm welcome to you, Harsh. And let's start by looking at what's happening in Ukraine. Now, Boris Johnson has said that Russia risks a new Chechnya if it invades Ukraine. The, 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 the British and the US have already started withdrawing some of its embassy staff. Over the weekend, we've seen that there has been lethal aid actually coming into Ukraine and Russian troops are already there. About 90 tons of U.S. lethal aid is there, which includes ammunition. So all this has created a very tense situation there and looks like Russia is on the verge of invading Ukraine. Russia looks at it as NATO's expansionism, but U.S. has made it very clear that here the question is not about NATO's expansionism, but about Russia's Russia's aggression. Now, is there a possibility that Russia can actually invade Ukraine? And if it does so, it will also weigh in its pros and cons. And what are the implications if this happens? Uh, hi, Nagma. I think the implications are huge because it, it, it impacts uh, Russia, uh, Europe, uh, the US, NATO, and I think the entire global order, it, uh, it implicates all of them in multiple ways. Uh, and I think... Uh, uh, you know, whatever we are hearing, uh, you know, every minute uh, there is a buildup of tension. There are there is some story or the other coming out about what the plans of Russians are. Of course, uh, you know, Russians are not revealing anything as of yet. Uh, but what the Western sources uh, keep on, um, uh, you know, commenting. Uh, you know, we have had uh, the you know this idea from the from the from London that this is going to be a regime change, a kind of a regime change in 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 uh, in, in Kiev with a pro-Russian. Uh, uh, you know, uh, with pro-Russian uh, forces uh, uh, becoming, uh, you know, give, being given the lead leadership there by Russia, uh, by, you know, they will be anointed. We are having, uh, you know, uh, there, there are suggestions that there's going to be a lightning strike on Kiev uh, by the Russian forces. Uh, and of course, uh, amidst all this, uh, uh, 
uh, Ukrainians uh, are suffering. And I think what is interesting is that the conversations are happening, uh, the discussions are happening almost as if Ukraine is not a sovereign country. Uh, you know, everything is being being talked about in world capitals quite eerily reminiscent of the Cold War days. So I think, uh, you know, the, the, the geopolitical aspect of this cannot be ignored. Uh, but I think for Russia, of course, uh, you know, the, the issue would be that to what extent they want to invade Ukraine, because it, it will be a costly invasion. It's not going to be a simple invasion where they go and they change the government and they come out with support intact. Uh, their, their forces will be there for a long time. And I'm, and I'm not so sure that that's something that uh, that uh, gives Mr. Putin any advantage. Uh, I think uh, uh, for, uh, for Western countries, for NATO, of course, this is going to be one of the most dramatic challenges that they've seen uh, since the end of the Cold War. And I think that is... That is why, uh, you know, there is also this uh, sense of what to do about it. You know, here is a, uh, we are back in the, in the uh, you know, in the tradition of great power politics where West is uh, seemingly disjointed. And if I can comment and bring in the element of uh, what the inter- interesting episode of what happened with the Germans, uh, where the German, uh, you know, uh, uh, Navy chief was in India commenting on this issue, very basically poo-pooed the suggestion that Russians are going to invade uh, Ukraine. And that, of course, uh, you know, he went back uh, and he had to resign. So I think there is a sense that uh, that uh, Europe and uh, is very uncomfortable with the way uh, this is being, uh, you know, uh, this is panning out, uh, and of, despite several meetings and despite the you know Western nations trying to put up a united front, uh, I think one of the leverages that uh, that um, Mr. Putin has is that uh, there are certainly tensions within the Western alliance on what to do about it. We saw that when Mr. Biden commented on it, when he said that, look, if it's a minor incursion, then the response might be different. Of course, it was later changed uh, by the White House. Um, but I think there is there are there are tensions within the Western alliance as to what exactly the nature of the response would be if Mr. Putin uh, does not really go in for an all-out invasion. And it's very likely that he would not, given the costs of, a, of an all-out invasion uh, that would be very high uh, for him and for, uh, for Moscow in, in, in general. So do you think, um, uh, I mean, even though your US and Europe have declared unity against Russia, of course, you pointed out that there is an internal uh, you know, they're not so united internally and there is always a confusion there. But uh, you think U.S. and Europe is over, are overreacting, NATO sending in troops, U.S. sending in more troops there, the buildup, the ammunition coming in. And also, you know, a lot of our viewers have sent in questions related to Ukraine. So Janya Mukherjee is asking that what does Putin really want? Why now? What is the significance of mobilizing these troops now? And what implications will the Russia Ukraine conflict have on India's foreign policy choices. Also, if I may add, Shivam uh, has also not Shivam, but Rishabh Sharma is adding to the same question and asking if uh, you know now is this the time? Will it be okay to play non-aligned, or will India opt to go with either side? If there are these two sides that we are two camps that we are now witnessing. Well, you know, Ukraine, uh, you know, of course, the, the first part of this question is about why why now and what Mr. Putin wants to do. Uh, I think largely uh, you see that uh, in terms of his own uh, ability to, uh, uh, you know, in, in willingness to shape 
the the European security architecture. I think uh, that is at, at the heart of this dispute. Uh, so you know, and, and certainly what you know what he sees is uh, is the West that is. Um, embroiled in domestic issues, that is, uh, you know, as you were discussing earlier, a bit disunited. Uh, uh, you know, and an American leadership, I think, is being tested here. Uh, and and we, you know, we know, uh, you know, what is happening within America. A lot of polarization, uh, and uh, and also Mr. Biden's, uh, you know, uh, poll ratings uh, are terrible. Uh, so I think definitely uh, for him, this there is a window of opportunity here that he wants to test the resolve of the West insofar as how far the West is going to go uh, in in defending some of the uh, for for the West. This is about. Uh, Ukraine's, uh, you know, sovereignty and Ukraine's ability to decide for itself. Uh, so I think uh, for 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 Mr. Putin, this is a this is a way of testing that resolve. This is a way of clearly drawing out certain lines and also making it clear that look, if if the West can reach out. Uh, to, to, to Russia, then there is a modus vivendi that can be reached between Russia and the West. Otherwise, this is going to be a long haul. So I think he has therefore uh, very smartly used this, uh, you know, this period of amassing uh, troops around Ukraine and making it very clear to you uh, to, to the West that there are certain red lines. For example, if you look at his his um, you know. Uh, demands uh, which are quite categorically stated now if you compare them to western demands uh, you know you still don't find them uh, clearly enunciated uh, mr biden's press conference uh, if anything was a disaster in, in comparison because he was sending multiple messages so i think from for uh, as, as far as mr putin is concerned this is a time to strike because he feels that he has the leverage, he has the cards, and he can make uh, the West relent on one of the most fundamental, uh, I think, challenges for Russia, which is the which is the eastward expansion of the NATO. And Mr. Putin himself has uh, often said uh, that the breaking up of Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical disaster, of, uh, you know, um, of his lifetime, and that is something that has to be undone. So, in, in a sense, this is about undoing. Uh, you know the the breakup of Soviet Union and making it very clear that there are, there is a there is a Russian sphere of influence that the West will have to respect. So I think you know that that is you know what is happening, uh, and we know that this is not uh, something that is out of the blue. From 2014, step by step, this has happened. Crimea has happened. Then then you have the Donbas area where Eastern Ukraine, where where uh, pro-Russian forces now control that that region, and Ukraine internally is is divided. So I think we are we are looking at a at a, at a weakening of, of of Ukraine step by step over a period of time, and the inability of the West to stand up, uh, if at all. Uh, you know, in, 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 in crises after crisis. And this is something that I think Mr. Putin has learned well. Now, whether India's position on this uh, uh, response to its old non-aligned framework, I think is a question that is going to be much, uh, in, you know, in, in many ways, very interesting to look at. Uh, because if you would recall in 2014, uh, India did, uh, you know, make a case for Russia. And uh, that in, in India did not really, uh, uh, you know, side uh, with the West on, on the question of Crimea. And I think uh, there are, um, the, you know, there, there was a lot of uh, criticism at that point in time. But I think if you look at Indo-Russian relationship, if you look at the stakes that India has in that relationship, it's very unlikely that India would give uh, give up that relationship uh, for the sake of, uh, you know, basically uh, uh, geopolitical, geostrategic jostling in West, uh, you know, in, in in Europe at the moment. 
I think where uh, India will have to think hard and, and, and very carefully is whether this is a tactic that can also be employed uh, by the Chinese, whether this is something uh, vis-a-vis India, whether this is something that the Chinese are also learning uh, and this can this can come back to haunt India, whether this is also an issue of, uh, of a sovereign country's uh, ability to decide for itself where it wants to go. If we go back to the traditional uh, argument of spheres of influence, then I think it creates its own set of negative implications, not only for India, but I think for a lot of the other uh, emerging global powers uh, that I think have benefited uh, in a world where there are no spheres of influence. But I think if you go back to the 19th century model of of global governance, uh, then uh, there are going to be costs for a country like India and whether India is willing to bear those costs uh, You'll have to see, but I think it's going to be a difficult call. All right, it's going to be a difficult call for India, and we've seen that all those diplomatic wranglings have not eased the tension. So, uh, Boris Johnson has clearly stated that Russia is risking a new Chechnya if it invades Ukraine. The question is, will Russia go that far and invade Ukraine, or uh, even if it doesn't, this area will continue to be tense? Such that's what we're looking at in the coming days, at least in the coming months, because that. It, it, we don't really see a, a solution of how this tension is going to ease up because the talks also have not really yielded any result. Uh, now, if we shift our focus and look at what's happening in Oslo right now, the Taliban, after recapturing power in Kabul for the first time, have come out of Afghanistan and are holding a meeting in uh, in Norway, in Oslo. And uh the focus here of this meeting is, of course, the humanitarian crisis and the human rights issue. We know this is happening when Afghanistan is in the middle of a huge humanitarian crisis. About about 55% probably of the population is on the verge of hunger. We know what's happening to women, to girls. The schools are still shut. The women's rights, of course, we cannot even talk about because the basic human rights are not met. Uh, while these talks are, are are happening with the with the civil society Afghan civil society, some of the Afghan civil society members and others living outside of Afghanistan are also protesting, saying that this is probably going to legitimize the Taliban and talking to the Taliban. Uh, is not okay because you're actually talking to terrorists. And also remember that this is uh, being led. This delegation also has Anas Haqqani there. And Anas Haqqani, of course, is part of that powerful Haqqani faction, which is a very violent group. So do you think there is this fear that these talks will normalize the Taliban and strengthen them? Is that a possibility? And what were the other options? Because the country is caught in a big humanitarian crisis and something has to be done. Uh, yes, and I think that's a, that's a real issue for for international community at the moment that uh, uh, there is a humanitarian crisis, and the crisis actually is of Taliban's own making. Uh, and I think the uh, the supporters of Taliban, uh, you know, who have uh, who have been supporting them uh, for for years now, uh, and this is not a crisis that was uh, that uh, that was not anticipated. Uh, so clearly, I think the challenge uh, is is of the of, of the Taliban's own making. But the reality is that international community cannot look the other way if you have this kind of a humanitarian disaster unfolding. So some kind of an engagement uh, becomes, uh, you know, uh, something that has to be taken forward. The question is once again on on what terms and conditions. Uh, you know uh, these. Uh, what what terms and conditions will lead to the unfolding of of, of these talks? What what sort of uh, bargaining will be done in the, these talks? And what can um, one make the Taliban relent on some of the issues? Uh, you know that they uh, 
uh, that they espouse. Uh, I mean, if you if you have observed Taliban for long, you know that it's very unlikely that they would change anything fundamental about themselves about their ideology. But I think the expectation in these talks is to uh, once again uh, you know, assess whether this can be done. And of course, uh, you know we know that uh, these talks are happening in Oslo, and Norway has long taken. Uh, this this position of conflict resolution and, and as 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 the center of conflict resolution uh, for itself uh, relatively seriously. So one hopes that they will they'll be able to find uh, some uh, you know uh, via media where where uh, the Taliban um, where, where the humanitarian uh, assistance can flow into Afghanistan. But I think that that concern is genuine. That uh, you know in the garb of this humanitarian crisis, the Taliban will. Uh, be pushing for their own uh, legitimization, and we know that they are working very closely with China, for example, in 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 pushing China on on on, on giving them legitimacy and recognizing them. In fact, there have been lots of rounds of talks where they are pushing China to do that. Uh, it is interesting that China remains very reluctant, uh, despite the initial enthusiasm with which China welcomed them. Uh, Russia, in fact, uh, be, uh, remains very reluctant, and we know that central. Central Asia remains very reluctant, uh, and of course, uh, Central Asian leaders will be having a virtual summit with Prime Minister Modi uh, this week, uh, where this issue will 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 be front and center. Because ultimately, uh, you know, it is it you know, Europeans uh, can give them recognition. The West can give recog- uh, can can engage with the Taliban, but the costs of that recognition would be borne by the region. So I think it is important that regional states uh, find a solution to this problem. Uh, there is a humanitarian crisis. India has tried its own way to help um, the, the ordinary Afghans in this crisis. But given our lack of uh, connectivity, contiguity, it's very difficult. Um, we, we, we know that uh, you know Pakistan had been such a big stumbling block with basic humanitarian aid also being a problem. But I think the world will have to figure out uh, you know, whether there is a... Uh, you know, in, 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 in their attempt to find a short-term solution to a humanitarian crisis, uh, they, they may just unfold a long-term humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan because I think that is what ultimately uh, should be the aim to, uh, to ensure that the Taliban uh, become more inclusive, that the Taliban start governing uh, with some uh, principles of human rights embedded uh, in their uh, in, in their organizational structures, uh, unless that happens, uh, you know, uh, I think these crises will keep on coming, and the world will have to find solutions to these crises uh, one at a time. All right, um, like you said, that it's very unlikely that the Taliban will change uh, in any way uh, because that has not really happened. Anybody who's been watching the Taliban, in fact, a lot of people who are also protesting right now have said that even though these talks are taking place, there is no hope. It's a distant possibility that Taliban are going to change their ideology. Um, and very quickly, Harsh, uh, you know, you mentioned Pakistan right now when I was thinking there is a lot of talk and discussion that has happened about the new national security policy coming out in Pakistan at a time uh, the times are very interesting this is a time when the Imran Khan government itself is uh, caught up in many problems and many people are speculating that the government may be uh, actually on its way out the inflation is at an all time high probably is the third highest inflation in the world that Pakistan is facing now uh, this NSP which has been uh, eulogized internally i would like you to analyze it on two fronts first of all what changes in pakistan uh, 
internally uh, do you think a lot of people uh, like aisha siddiqa have commented that there is a there is a shift in focus from geo strategy to geo economics but then the civil military imbalance is very very wide and it does, doesn't seem to be working and the other thing that we would like to uh, develop on is does it signal a rethink on india this is this is uh, very interesting i think it has taken up so much space uh, in recent uh, weeks uh, but it seems completely uh, disproportional to disproportionate to what is perhaps uh, the situation within afghanistan uh, is uh, because clearly uh, as as you were saying there are there are speculations about the, the imran khan government itself and the opposition is not really enthusiastic about this document i mean opposition has not really supported the document now the question is uh, so what is the shelf life of this document first of all uh, whether it will just go out uh, once the imran khan government bows out of office uh, or there is a, there is some sustainability now, now one has you know there are some good ideas in there but the uh, but the uh, you know how do you operationalize those ideas when you have two problems one uh, you have the problem that that uh, you were identifying earlier in the in the sense of civil military divide which is widening which has widened uh, in recent times and uh, that seems uh, you know there's there are no signs that there, there is any possibility of that uh, being uh, getting the right getting any smoother anytime soon so uh, you know without that without that acceptance of most of the stakeholders on board how do you take a document which is a national security security document seriously uh, because you need you know you need the civilians as well as the military on board uh, when when it comes to such a document the other aspect is you know some of the things that are said you know uh, it seems uh, that it's uh, it's like a uh, it's, it, you know it's it, it's like a salad bowl of of various uh, arguments about geoeconomics human security uh, there is uh, you know this idea of uh, how do you make uh, pakistan the center of uh, regional connectivity uh, a lot of these ideas which i think uh, are are mentioned but what is not made clear is how do you then operationalize these ideas uh, you know it is all very well to say um, well we want global peace and we don't regional peace but how do you then go about doing that has not has not been made very clear so it's very unlikely it seems that uh, uh, you know that uh, it will be taken seriously uh, anywhere uh, as far as uh, pakistan's uh, ob- external observers are concerned where it is important i think from pakistan's point of view is that pakistan is in such a dire strait at the moment that it makes sense for pakistan to come out with this document or document of this kind to showcase to the world that they are learning that they are improving that there is a sense within pakistan that they, you know that the challenges that that pakistan faces have become so uh, enormous and have gotten so out of hand that they need external support and for that external support they need uh you know they need the outside world to look at pakistan through a different lens and i think this document it seems is entirely about doing that uh, image management uh, rather than looking at the domestic situation very very carefully because uh you know any national security document uh, is basically trying to set uh, a serious national security document tries to set up a balance between ends ways and means but here there is nothing there because the the ends are identified in terms as if pakistan is really the uh, you know the anchor uh, in this part of the world uh, it is not uh, you know it, it its its economy is smaller than the economy of the city of mumbai now and as you were mentioning you know you have uh, this extraordinary inflation rate uh, great challenges in the last few years and there is no possibility that that's going to change anytime soon so 
you know, when you don't have the ability to do a lot of the things that you are saying, you are basically providing a document for external stakeholders to look at Pakistan and say, well, maybe Pakistan is improving and maybe there is a, a room to support them. I think many in India uh, will not take it seriously, as you can imagine, because ultimately when it comes to India question, uh, the Jammu and Kashmir question is at the, at the heart of it. And also if Pakistan is so interested in becoming the center of the geoeconomic and geoconnect and in, in connectivity in the region, then the, the simplest thing it can do uh, is to enhance trade linkages with India. And we know what, what that means when it comes to Pakistan. It is not going to happen anytime soon. And I don't think there is any appetite uh, within Pakistan to do that. They, so, so Jammu and Kashmir and Kashmir issue becomes uh, central to their uh, argument about engagement with India. And yes. India being where it is, I think there is no incentive on the part of India also to move. Because what India has done, uh, I think, is very interesting uh, in the last seven, seven years. You know, before seven years, there used to be this argument in India that, look, engagement with, with Pakistan is very, very important for India. What India has done is to show in the last few years that even if India does not engage with Pakistan, it does not really uh, you know, uh, change India's regional and global standing. India can continue to do lots of things that it can do globally and regionally, uh, even without engaging Pakistan. So I think that's something that's, that's a real challenge for Pakistan. How do you uh, create a mindset in India that or incentive structure in India to engage with Pakistan so that Pakistan can really go into those areas that it wants to go into as exemplified with, by this NSP. But I don't think there is enough consensus within Pakistan on that itself. So we will, I think uh, we will wait and watch and see whether this, uh, this national security policy is operationalized at all. Uh, and if at all it gets operation, operationalized, uh, which are the stakeholders that are going to support it in Pakistan? At the moment, it looks very unlikely that there are many supporters. Absolutely. Probably like you mentioned, it's probably just an exercise in image building for the outside world. It doesn't really have much significance at a time when the government may be on its uh, way out. And like you said, there's hardly any appetite in Pakistan's military establishment, especially to improve ties uh, with India. And India can continue to uh, to uh, you know, come together with other uh, important players in the region without really engaging with Pakistan as uh, has happened in the last few years. So uh, th there is also uh, another topic that we wanted to discuss, Harsh, but since I think we're out of time on this episode, uh, we wanted to look at Southeast Asia and the sale of BrahMos uh, supersonic missiles to Philippines. Um, we will probably look at it in the coming episode of the Ideas Factory. Uh, do send in your questions. Uh, there are many questions that have come in related to China, but we'll probably take them up in the next episode. So for this episode, uh, that's it from us. Thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.